All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 13. Man, Isaiah is just, it's a lot. And I have to tell you, even though I say it's a lot, like it gets me more excited than maybe any other book that we've ever talked about. I love the Gospels and I love the, you know, the hope that Christ communicates and the lifestyle that he communicates as followers that we should follow. But man, there's something about studying a a man who's heard from the Lord, gives a, a ridiculous prophetic word not only over nations, not only over um, Jerusalem and Judea, but then he speaks over into all of the world. And I mean, it, it is just like this massive picture. And in fact, Kevin, if you'll go to our favorite prophets and kings picture, you know, here you have in the first 12 uh, chapters, okay, you have Isaiah here. What does he do? He's speaking into the southern kingdom. And in the first, first 12 chapters, the reality is, is he's giving a prophetic word over Judah and Jerusalem. Jerusalem fits into that southern kingdom, just barely, but it's there. But for some reason, because of God's presence being so prevalent on Jerusalem, you know, his home, his dwelling place, he always separates Jerusalem. It's like all of the tribes and then Jerusalem. And so he does this for 12 chapters. He begins to talk about the prophecies clearly concerning Judah and Jerusalem. But then in 13 through 23, what you have is all these oracles, fancy word for warnings, prophetic warnings about judgment coming against all of the nations. So, Kevin, can you throw up a map here just to kind of give you an idea of, I mean, think about this. Here you have, you're going to have the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom, and then, you know, you have all these other surrounding nations, okay, that I know this is maybe a little bit of a smaller map, but everything surrounding these countries, he starts giving prophetic words against. And in fact, he does it from 13 through 23. And it kind of felt a little bit repetitive, but at the same time, he was going after each nation. Sometimes he just gave prophetic words and other times warnings and other times he gave him blessings. Remember Egypt. Egypt, he clearly says, man, here's an issue with you guys. But, oh, but by the way, Egypt and Assyria and Israel, you're going to be blessed at the end. Now, here's what's crazy. In Isaiah 24 through 27, what he does is he gives prophecies. Now he pulls back. It's like he steps back and he he sees the world spinning. He sees the earth and he begins to describe worldwide judgment that's coming on everybody. Except for those that are faithful to the Lord. The remnant. There's a little, little group that's there. A little bit of remnant. And he says, hey guys, I recognize who you are. Hey, hang out, right, in your closet. Hang out in the room and... Hang on there because the wrath is coming because that's really what he begins to talk about. The judgment is coming, but the deliverance is coming as well. So again, one man, an older man, Isaiah, prophetically speaks into the to Israel, prophetically speaks into, yes, the nations, prophetically speaks into the earth. And so now here we are, we're going to get into a new chapter. We get into a new season. The reality is that we get into Isaiah 28 through 33. And it's oracles of war, and here's where it gets crazy, against Samaria, okay? And it also is against Jerusalem and Assyria. So you're going to see, Rich, what do you got? No, I was just wondering, did you want the other map? If you can go to the other map, that's fine. That would be great. Uh, So here you have Samaria, okay? Then it says, you're going to see it's coming against Jerusalem, okay? And at the same time, it's going to come against all of Assyria, 
So that's what we're going to talk about from 28 through 33. And you're kind of like, man, we got to go through these prophecies again, these oracles, these woes against these people. Yes. Well, how would you like his job? Isaiah's job. Basically to walk around saying, hey, by the way, your life's going to suck. Clothes are optional. Uh, Clothes are optional. Kevin. And uh, at the same time, as he says that, but I have an out. I have an opportunity for you to turn to somebody else. Amidst all of this, you can still repent and turn. And and that's what he does. And he begins to even point to you guys uh, all throughout the scriptures. He talks about Emmanuel. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, it is truly our one word for the book of Isaiah. I know we get so caught up in the prophecies. Sometimes we forget to come back to these one words. But this is the word. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, God with us. And the best picture for me is in John 1, verse 14. Here you have, it says that the word was God, correct? And then it says in verse 14, the word became flesh. He took up residence, took up residence among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so amidst all of these prophecies, you hear little glimpses of, by the way, turn to Emmanuel. By the way, turn to him. The Lord is coming on the clouds. And so there's this picture that he's constantly weaving. And so as we begin to unpack Isaiah 28 again, it's Isaiah 28 and 29 today. Sometimes it would be fun just to hang out on one chapter, but it's really hard. It's hard to say, hey, here's 29 and then do a quick three minute summary of 28. So we're going to do our best here, but you're going to see four announcements in Isaiah 28. Okay, four announcements that really walk through, again, woes and oracles. In the first six verses of Isaiah 28, 1 through 6, you really begin to see God's judgment Okay, on Ephraim. Kevin, when we're talking about Ephraim, what are we talking about? Uh, Typically, it's what? The northern northern kingdom. Kingdom. Typically, it's it's God's judgment on northern kingdom. Why? Why why is this? Well, it's because of two things that you're going to see. You can see it in verse one. Woe to the majestic crown of Ephraim's drunkards. Bottom line, they had a problem with wine. They had a problem with the alcohol and the fading flower of its beautiful splendor, which is on the summit above the rich valley. Woe to those overcome with wine. Verse two. Look, the Lord is a strong and mighty one like a devastating hailstorm, like a storm with strong flooding waters. He will bring it across the land with his hand. Verse 3, the majestic crown of Ephraim's drunkards will be trampled underfoot. So God's judgment on Ephraim comes a lot because, you guys, of of drunkenness. Like, to me, it's an interesting, like, wait, what? What's the big deal? Like, apparently, it's a huge deal. This drunkenness led to taking away their focus on the Lord. Verse 4, says, the fading flower of his beautiful splendor, which is on the summit above the rich valley, will be like a ripe fig tree before the summer harvest. Whoever sees it will swallow it while it's still in his hand. And then in verse 5, it gets interesting because in verse 5 and 6, you begin to see the same language. Judgment comes, but there's still a group of people. It says, on that day, the Lord of hosts will become a crown of beauty and a diadem of splendor to the remnant of his people. Verse 6 a spirit of justice to the one who sits in judgment and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. So amidst judgment, Kevin, what do you see? A few that stands. A few that stands. 
my wife said when she was listening to this, because Laura, as she listens to our lesson, she then takes some of those truths that she hears, asks the Holy Spirit, and then she articulates the daily word. It's kind of a cool process. And she said, Kyle, I really think you, you get to do a happy dance inside every time you say the word remnant. Like there's something, and it's true, because to me, I, I really believe if God continues to use the remnant that are praising him, why would we not want to prepare them and train them? And Lord willing, we can be one of those people. So amidst God's judgment, all I will just say is this, there is the remnant. Kevin. This is, he's telling this to the southern kingdom about the northern kingdom. Is that correct? Well, typically when he gives, yes, typically he's communicating to the southern kingdom about those nations. Typically, that's the case. But then you have to obviously hear, you have to understand, I'm guessing the Egyptians heard about that prophetic word. I'm guessing the Samaritans, you know, from Samaria, they heard about the prophetic word, right? This would have been other Jews, the Ephraim. Correct. The northern kingdom. I mean, I think it's always going to the southern kingdom so that they hear the message. But I always think, just like anywhere else, I think it spreads. I think they hear. Can I prove that? I don't know. Rich, you got any thoughts on that? That's a great question, Kevin. No, I mean, his word is to, it's to Ephraim. So where's Ephraim? It's north, right? right. So I think it's to those people. Well, Rich just thus said rich right now. <laughs> All right, good good points, guys. All right, let's keep going to verses, I know, uh, 5 and 6. I want to back up just a little bit here. Um Actually, let's just keep going with 7 and 8. We'll keep going with 7 and 8. 28, 7 and 8. What you see here, where's we just describes chapter 28 as, you know, Judah, interesting enough, Kevin, Judah is now what? Southern kingdom. Southern kingdom was guilty of some, the same sins as Samaria. And this is important, was in danger of judgment as well. So I think maybe even if you took that that truth, like maybe he is talking to both then. Let me just keep going. We've read about the remnant there. It says, then these also stagger because of wine. So and stumble under the influence. Ha <laughs> ha. I'm sorry, guys. Hang in here. So you have this remnant, okay, in five and six that we've talked to. But then these also stagger because of wine and stumble under the influence of beer. Does that make sense? So here you have the remnant. That's still possibly caving into some of the same sins that Ephraim is, is under. That makes sense, Kevin? So here you have five and six. You've got this remnant that's here. Clearly, he says, uh, in the diadem of slender to the remnant of people, uh, into the remnant of his people. But then he says, these are the ones who stagger because of influence. Priests and prophets stagger because of beer. They're confused by wine. They stumble because of beer. They are muddled in their visions and they stumble in their judgments. Indeed, all their tables are covered with vomit. There is no place without a stench. And so here you have both parties. It's interesting that we just had this discussion. <laughs> uh, yes, to yes to both. Kind of an interesting, and even the remnant has a possibility of caving in. And as you, go because, ahead. Because at the time, the northern kingdom's already getting taken, Assyria's taking them away. Yep. And they're coming f- towards judah basically this is this is a current what he's doing right now is a current prophecy Uh, absolutely it's again both and yes so look at 9 through 13 again so judgment's coming on to the here it is judgment's coming to the northern end of the southern kingdom that's basically what you can say as a result of this in verses 9 through 13 who is he trying to reach 
Who is he trying? Uh, I'm sorry. Who is he trying to teach? Who is he trying to instruct? Infants just weaned from milk. Babies removed from the breast. Verse 10. For he says, law after law, law after law, line after line, line after line, a little here and a little there. <laughs> I just think it's a fun line to say. And the scripture continues on. So he will speak to this people with stammering speech and in a foreign language. He said to them, this is the place of rest. Let the weary rest. This is the place of repose. Re- repose. But they would not listen. Okay, you got to understand something. Then the word of the Lord came to them, says it again, law after law, law after law, line after line, line after line, a little here and a little there. So they go stumbling backwards to be broken, trapped and captured. What you see in this, you guys, is that Judah clearly sees, this is really interesting, God's prophet. It it goes back to, hey, here comes Isaiah. And it really is, they reject it. They reject God's word. I mean, that's what this section is all about. Like, oh, here he comes again. Law after law, law after law, line after line. line. Man, I, forget it. I don't need it. That's kind of the mentality that we are beginning to see. So again, you have this judgment in chapters 28 through 33 with Samaria, Jerusalem, and Assyria. He comes come back to his even his own people. Judgment is coming. And if you ever like say, well, I don't know. Did this really happen? Uh, Kevin, can you go to uh, the prophets and kings? If you ever get to that point, all you have to know is that, yes. Okay, forget for just the fact, that, that, that just the, uh, sorry, the timeline of the end. Like, just forget all of that for a second. All of this begins to happen. They reject everything that he's saying. Nobody wants to keep hearing this, this prophet that keeps talking about this, this mentality. Now, what's interesting is in 28, 12 through 20, it, and you hear this a little bit in 12, he offers them a place of rest. So God offers his people rest, but they will not and they do not. So I want you to understand he offers rest. Praise the Lord. But they still don't obey and hear his word. Indeed, the bed is too short to stretch out on and its covers is too small to wrap up in. You ever been on a bed? You're like your feet dangle over. It's cold and the covers are like and you just kind of keep pulling it and you tuck it on your toes and it comes to here. Anyway, kind of a cool picture. All right, just as to wrap up Isaiah 28 again, here you have really uh, uh, the final announcement. 28, 21 through 29. Uh, this is kind of an interesting one, and I want to read this, okay? In 21 through 29, Kevin, if you go there, for the Lord will rise up as he did at Mount Perizim. He will rise in wrath as the valley, as at the valley of Gibeon. To do his work, his strange work. Isn't that interesting? The Lord's work is described as strange at times. So when you're like, I can't figure this out. Well, here you go. And to perform his task is disturbing task. Verse 22 says, so now do not mock or your shackles will become stronger. Indeed, I have heard from the Lord God of hosts a decree of destruction for the whole land. The whole land is going to see destruction. Listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. Does the plowman plow every day to plant seed? Does he continuously break up and cultivate the soil? When he has leveled its surface, does he not then scatter back cumin and soy cumin? So cumin. He plants wheat in rows and barley in pots with spelt as their border. 26. His God teaches him order. He instructs him. Verse 27. Certainly black cumin is not threshed with the threshing board. And a cartwheel is not rolled over the cumin. But black cumin is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Verse 28. Bread grain is crushed, but it is not threshed endlessly. Though the wheel of the farmer's cart rumbles, his horses do not crush it. And finally, this also comes from the Lord of God, Lord of hosts. 
He gives wonderful advice. He gives great wisdom. Okay. <laughs> You're kind of like, okay, that was a lot there. This is kind of an important transition, okay, as you begin to come into the point of Isaiah 29. So hear me on this. God's judgment is coming to Ephraim. His judgment is coming to Judah because they're guilty of some of these similar sins. And yet Judah... They recognize Isaiah as a prophet, but they reject his word. And in the process, God's still offering them rest, but they don't obey and hear his word. So what happens? They don't ever find the rest. And here's the last point that I really appreciate about what Warren, Warren Wiersbe says. Judah's confidence, okay? Judah is confident that God would not judge them. It's a delusion. So really what happens, you guys, is is when you go to Isaiah 29, you, you see two major woes, okay? You see it split up. I mean, really, you see this chapter split up, 1 through 14 and then 15 and on. You're going to see in the first 14 verses, the Lord, here we are again. Kevin, if you want to go back to the Jerusalem picture, if you have that still, the Lord humbles Jerusalem in the first 14 verses. So this incredible city, the city of David, okay? Solwyn, right? Rich, isn't that what we talked about? Silwan. Silwan. Uh, here you have, and here's what he says in verse one, woe to Ariel, Ariel, the city where David camped. Scripture says, continue year after year, let the festivals recur. All right. I want to give you a little bit of, uh, Ariel and what does all this look like? Okay. First of all, Ariel means lion of God. Okay. I'm going to give you some background and then I'm going to do it again. It's going to just hang in here. Ariel means lion of God. It refers to the city's strength. Okay. That's kind of the image. Hey, woe to you, lion of God, lion of God. Think about this, right? Like, look how strong you are, right? Mentality. But then what's interesting is, is and we'll get to this uh, in, in verses really, I think two and all. Let's just go to two for a second. I will oppress Ariel and there will be mourning and crying and she will be to me like an Ariel. <laughs> what? And he says, I will camp around. I'll camp in a circle around you. I'll besiege you with an earth ramps and I'll set up my siege towers against you. Now watch this. In verse four, you will be brought down. You will speak from the ground. Your words will come from low in the dust. Your voice will be like that of a spirit from the ground and your speech will whisper from the dust. I mean, the reality is that to me looks like complete destruction, does it not? Looks like you've been annihilated. Kevin? We know as Babylon comes in to take Jerusalem and Judah, they, they take down the temple and Jerusalem, basically. Here's a little bit of a, I don't want to say play on words, but Warren Wiersbe describes Ariel as a, as a code for Jerusalem. It was a lion. Lion was actually the symbol of Assyria. Okay, so prophet may have been saying, may have been saying, Assyria is now God's lion and Jerusalem is God's lion in name only. Does that make sense? And then the Hebrew word actually means altar hearth. Okay. Hang in here. This is a really interesting insight. The altar hearth where burnt offerings were sacrificed. Just what if prophetically he was saying, look, your lives are now going to be sacrifices. Your lives will now be done. You will now be the blood sacrifice, not because of any other reason, except you're dying because of your sin. Does that make sense? So it's just a, a unique picture. And yet this is where David camped. In Isaiah 29, back in verse 1, it says, The city where David camped. I mean, David named Jerusalem the city of David. This is a big deal, but yet, here's what's interesting. And it's almost like the prophet just, again, there's a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of mockery. Hey, you guys are, continue year after year, let the festivals recur, but yet, the reality is it's going to lead to destruction. 
There's going to be mourning. There's going to be crying. And oh, by the way, you will be destroyed. There's an interesting when it says from the ground, you're going to speak from the ground. You'll be like a spirit from the ground. I mean, Jerusalem will truly be, Wiersbe says, like a captive, humble, humbled in the dust. Your voice will come from the earth. Listen to this, like a medium spirit, like the voice of the dead was supposed to be. And obviously we know that this could have been very fitting because of this, this sin of communicating with the dead. So like there's even some of those things that could have been taking place that Isaiah is clearly speaking to those people at that time because they probably were dabbling into that stuff. Verse four, um, there's no roaring, Wearsby says. There's no roaring like a lion. It's just a whisper. Kind of a crazy picture. And when we begin to transition into verses five through eight, what you will see is, is in a, I love Wearsby's words, in God's time after Jerusalem's punishment, those who fought against the city will them themselves come under judgment. So here you go again, Kevin. It's those that are going to see the judgment and then those are going to be saved and spared and blessed. And so in verse five, it says, your many foes will be like fine dust. <laughs> I thought we were fine dust. Right. You know what I mean? That's kind of and the multitudes of the ruthless like blowing chaff. Then suddenly in an instant. And I love that instant mentality, like literally God defeated Assyria in an instant. If you go to Isaiah 37, verse 36, God defeated Assyria in an instant. He says, just like the chaff, suddenly in an instant, Isaiah 37, verse 36 says, Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck down one hundred eighty five thousand in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people got up the next morning, they were all the dead. There were all the dead bodies. I mean, <laughs> Isaiah, man, he just, he's, it's ridiculous how spot on the Lord's using him. In an instant, by the way, your enemies will be crushed. Verse six says, you will then be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and loud noise, storm, tempest and a flame of consuming fire. The reality is, is even though the Assyrians were wiped out, Kevin, it should have brought Judah to its knees. It should have brought them back to the Lord. But when Hezekiah died, what did they do? They went back to their sins. So then God, what does God do if you go back to the kings and the prophets? So here you have the Assyrians and the whole Assyrian captivity. And the next thing you know, you have the Babylonian captivity. So just because they didn't learn the first time, now they got to learn the second time. And God sent uh, the Babylonians. They conquered Jerusalem. They destroyed it. They took the Jews into captivity. And then God allowed the Jewish people to be killed. Not all of them, but a portion of them. And there's that picture in verse 5, Kevin, uh, that there is, they will be, God's own people will be slain by the enemy. Kind of crazy how all of this comes together. Any other comments, Kevin, on this? You're good and insightful on that. So, I mean, it's... They didn't... <laughs> they didn't learn. Okay. Well, we're going to get into verses 7 and 8. So, first of all, we just described that there's going to be a destruction on verse 5 and 6 on the Assyrians, right? So, we know, Kevin, that that comes before the first coming. Right. Somewhere. I'm just I'm, this is not in proportion to any scale. OK, so now in verses seven and eight, there's another whole timeline. It's the same timeline, but another it's just down the road. This is really where it gets interesting. It says in all the many nations going out to battle against Ariel. OK, uh, remember Jerusalem. 
Okay? All the attackers. So all the attackers. In other words, the world. The siege works against her and those who oppress her will then be like a dream, a vision in the night in verse eight. It'll be like a hungry one who dreams he is eating, then wakes and is still hungry. And like a thirsty one who dreams he is drinking, then wakes and is still thirsty, longing for water. So will be the multitude of all the nations who go to battle against Mount Zion. So here's what we have. And it's really fun, you guys. Here's what you have is, is you have, let's just put here on my little notes, tribulation. And somewhere at the very end of the tribulation, Kevin, is what we would call what? The battle of Armageddon. You know, what's interesting, technically the, the phrase battle of Armageddon is not in scripture, but yet it's all throughout the, the book of Revelation as it builds to this. Obviously, the prophet Isaiah talks about this. But Kevin, if you go to Revelation 19, 11 through 21, you're going to see a description of the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 29. Okay, now think about this. In Isaiah uh, 29, Kevin, uh, 7 and 8, you can say there in Revelation, think about this. All the many nations are going out to battle against Ariel. They're coming to fight against Jerusalem and Israel. All the attackers, the siege works against her, those who oppress her. It'll be like a hungry one. Now look at this, and it says this. So it'll be that all the many nations will go who go to battle against Mount Zion. That's the image that we're after. Revelation 19.11 says, Then I saw heaven opened. And there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. He judges and makes war in righteousness. Verse 12. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. Verse 13. He wore a robe stained with blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Uh, Just a cool picture back to John 1. Is this not how the Word was God, the Word was with God? And then here the Word became flesh. And here we're talking about Emmanuel. And here Isaiah prophesies about Emmanuel coming back. And it says in verse 14 in Revelation 19, The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. Verse 15, A sharp sword came from his mouth so that they might strike the nations with it. So here you have, Kevin, uh, Jesus on a white horse with his armies. Rich, who's the armies? Is that, that could be us. Is that correct? Yeah, believers that are still hanging out. There's believers that are coming, coming with Christ, and they're meeting in Megiddo. They're meeting in the valley of uh, Armageddon, right? The battle of Armageddon. It says, he will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty, verse 16. And he has a name written on his robe. Remember the blood-stained robe and his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. It's probably the only place you'll see that Jesus has a tattoo. Truly. <laughs> it's on his thigh. And then I saw an angel standing on the sun. And he cried out in a, large, a loud voice. Saying to all the birds flying high overhead. Come gather together for the great supper of God. So that you may eat the flesh of kings. The flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of their riders. So he calls the birds, you guys, prophetically, because a lot of bloodshed is going to take place. And the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great, verse 19. Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. This is what we're talking about. But the beast was taken prisoner. And along with him, the false prophet who had performed signs on his authority by which he deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Verse 21, the rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Here you have the most unbelievable 
battle. The battle that takes place because Jesus comes in with his armies and Kevin, they're fighting all of the nations that Isaiah says, oh, by the way, all of this is going to take place. Now, Kevin, when does all of this unfold? Yes. Somewhere after the end of the tribulation. We all agree with that, correct? Whether you're here or not, the armies are coming back. (laughs) So as a warriors, we need to get ready. Not like a holy war, you guys. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about getting ready for his return at any given time. Okay, guys, you don't have to function in fear because of these battles. And I know we don't have, a, we don't have any more time for the rest of this text. I just think, look, it's really crazy to know that a prophet back in the 700s B.C. prophesied about something that's written about and explained in the book of Revelation. Some of it's current and some of it is yet to happen. The Battle of Armageddon talked about in Isaiah 29. Have a great day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks.